Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return to be neurotic about erotic comics, adamant about Neil Adams' Superman, the coming of the Superman, steely about Zack Snyder's Men of Steel, newlish about Frank Miller's Dark Knight series, and just kind of bitchy about Superman Unchained by Scott Snyder and Jim Lee. Very fast show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hello, Jeff Lester. Who is this? What are you doing on my computer? <laughs> wow, you're really not used to talking on Saturday, huh? I'm not talking. I'm not used to talking to anyone at all anymore, especially on this newfangled thing. No, it was just. I feel like it's been such a long time since we podcast, and so <laughs> much has happened. It's only, it's only been two weeks, although a lot has happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, we're not talking about comic stuff. We're just talking about like Jeff and I stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely true. Um, but. Uh, well, I I was going to say, like, you know, tune in for that. And I'm like, sometimes, occasionally. Graham, is there anything you want to tell the listeners about what's going on? I would happily love to hear it as well, of course. Um, uh, what I have to talk about that isn't comic related is also probably not of interest to the podcast listeners, so no. Okay, all right. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, listeners, I'm sure, is as we slowly piece together how this whole process works... We'll begin, we'll begin letting you know what's going on with our lives. Wait, sh- should we actually just explain why we're both being weird? Uh, <laughs> because of uh, Jeff's promotion at work, we're now recording on Saturday mornings and not Thursday afternoons, which is when we used to do it. Yeah, yeah. And Thursday uh, afternoons was – I didn't realize – it's it's just just as uh, old what's-her-name said, you, you don't know what you got till it's gone because Thursday afternoons were – Perfect. Like, new comics had come out. You could usually count on someone having lost their shit over the new comics. Or maybe there was some earlier comics announcement that, you know, usually had some sort of amazing vitriol built up behind it by the time you and I talked. And, you know. And on Saturday, I I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm, like, out of work mode. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I this weird sort of like, yeah, it's the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very strange thing. Yeah, it totally um, is. Yeah. To, to give some context, what I was saying uh, earlier about a lot of things have happening. My wife's been sick for the last two weeks. Oh, Jesus. Uh, which is what's been sort of nuts for me. Mm-hmm. And you've started a new job. That's right. So, uh, Jeff and I have emailed during this two-week break, essentially going, I hope you've had a chance to read some comics <laughs> because I have not. <laughs> And that was the conversation we've had with each other. Yeah. So this could be a fascinating episode mm-hmm. of the show where both of us admit that we haven't actually read anything. Even though I know that's not true. You've read stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, I totally have. In fact, that that's the thing. What I've read is pretty useless, like even by comic book definition. Oh, I, okay. I I, well, I want to ask you about a few things in particular. I, it's very possible you have read. Okay. Did you read – the the new Peter Milligan image series. Oh no! Oh, I called the discipline. The discipline is what it's called. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I was reading. I think it was it was Amy. It was Tater Pie on on Twitter last night. I mm-hmm. uh, talk about basically that she felt the bar had been raised for for the discipline uh, by Enigma. 
Mm-hmm. By Enigma mm-hmm. just being such a smart, savvy series that mixes like the superheroic and the personal and and sex and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read this just after I'd read The Discipline. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to break in and be like, Amy, I hate to tell you, The Discipline's terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, if the bar has been raised by Enigma, it's been unfairly raised <laughs> because The Discipline is not like that book at all. For one thing, Enigma was good. Well, see, right, exactly. (laughs) That always throws off the curve dramatically. Uh, yeah, I just, well, okay, so let's, let's talk, tell, tell me more about the discipline. I, okay, the discipline is, um, how, how to put this? The discipline really reads like, do you remember Greek Street, which was Milligan's Vertigo series of a few years ago? Mm -hmm. That was basically, I, uh, he was trying to recreate the Greek myths in, Modern day in London? Yes. So imagine, because that failed, but imagine he and the artist from that title, uh, Leonardo Fernandez, decided that they were going to then mix in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. And that's the book! <laughs> um, except, it's, it's, it's somehow lesser than the sum of its parts and some of its parts sounds terrible if that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it sounds when i'd say it like that it sounds amazingly derivative mm-hmm. and yet what is happening in the first issue at least is that you have this book in which nothing feels authentic mm-hmm. uh but also nothing really happens mm-hmm. like there isn't really any sort of uh bdsm subtext to it Mm-hmm. Or if there is, like, it's on a level I'm just not seeing. Like, there's literally, like, there's one scene where the the mysterious man that the heroine falls for, like, pins her up against a, a wall mm-hmm. and and says something vaguely, like, dominant-ish. Um, but that's it! And the rest of it is, like, this weird-ass, like, almost meet-cute rom-com. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but it's also, like, it's just, it's just, it's terrible, and it's terrible in a collision of so many things. Milligan has, in the last 20 years or so, created a sort of sub-genre of Milligan works, Mm -hmm. where it's not just phoning it in, he's cynically phoning it in. Mm -hmm. Like, you feel, you can tell what he has watched or read to try and recreate, because he thinks it's popular, right? And that is very much on show here. But he's also doing with Fernandez as the artist, and Fernandez is a very particular artist. He's from the Eduardo Rizzo school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if anything sort of plays up, I'm trying to think of a way to put this, plays up the female form more. Mm-hmm. So there's a shot where the lead character is looking at a painting, and honestly, it's like, and here's her butt. <laughs> The you painting know? or the lead character? The lead, the lead character. character. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get this this weird book that just feels incredibly exploitative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lazily so at the same time. <laughs> so I, I ended up really just with a very, very unpleasant taste in my mouth but, uh, with this book. Mm-hmm. I, I so want to go, well, it's Milligan, so I'm going to give it another chance. But then I remember I said that about Greek Street. I, you know, I've said that about all these other Milligan projects. Yeah, I was about to say, the Greek Street, there's been at least three other projects in the in, in between that, if not more. I mean, you know, uh, was it, what was the one with the Vertigo one about the 
people who were it was like was it called the name or the names or nameish you know about the financial I, I, people you yeah, know oh, like God, a financial dude called? who gets killed and his I, wife goes really for revenge recently. and that was Fernandez as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that one. There was the there was the one that Dynamite launched right and oh, supported. Oh God, yes. And then... See, and again, Terminal Hero. I think the Terminal Dynamite Hero. Was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it? What was it called? The others? It was the vertical one called the others. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I, that probably uh, makes sense. I, I'm trying to look it up now because again, I I read multiple issues of all of these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was called the names. You're totally right. Mm-hmm. 20, 2014. Right. Um, and I've read multiple issues of all of these. All of them going, it's Milligan, and very much like Amy was talking about Demetri yesterday. He did, he did Enigma. Mm-hmm. He did Shade the Changing Man. Mm-hmm. He did, you know, he did Bad Company. He did all these things I love from like the eighties and nineties. Yeah, um, and every single one has disappointed me. Well, you know, I have to say, for me also, because I think this is important. Um, <clears throat> for me, back in the early two thousands, he did the Human Target. Uh, as well, yeah. And that, although maybe not quite at the level, you know, the heights of the Enigma and Shade and stuff, was not nearly as terrible as a lot of the other stuff that had happened in the intervening years. So, part it, of me exactly, he, he does have this moment where every now and again he'll do something, and you'll be like, oh. Okay, he's not lost it, right? You, you can't, you or, can't or, you know, fully write kind, him off. He's kind of lost it, but mm-hmm. even him, like, there's so, still something there. Actually, Terminal Hero had moments of there's still something there. Yeah. Um, but then, but then he does something like this, and it's just cynical and gratuitous, and and for a book that is quite clearly trying to be, um, I don't want to say like a female view of sexuality, but definitely not. Entirely male gazy. Right. A, the artist makes it amazingly male gazy. <laughs> right. And B, I don't think Milligan understands female sexuality. Interesting. So you get like she had a dream where she was being raped by a demon and she masturbates. Empowerment. <laughs> you know? And it's like I I you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of this is illustrated by Fernandez being like She's a bit confused. Maybe she's sticking her finger in her mouth. Maybe she's biting her lip and looking a bit coy. Let's show the hand going down to the panties. You know, and there's all this stuff that you're just like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it really is a book where, where you, I, I went into, again, being like, is Milligan, how bad can it be? And then remembering, oh, Milligan can be really bad. Oh God, yeah, right. It can be really bad. Absolutely. I mean, that I I think to me, there's really just almost a better chance of you picking up a Milligan book, you know, and, and expecting disappointment. Well, or or how do I put it? Expecting to be entertained by its terribleness rather than expecting to be entertained by by something good, you know. And what's Maybe not funny, but um, he's also doing one of the new Vertical books that's mm-hmm. running. He's doing New Romancer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, is uh, amazingly unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, breathtakingly unrealistic. But it sort of comes from the other Pete Milligan. Mm-hmm. Comes from the, the, the Milligan who thinks that wordplay and, you know... 
foppish references to Byron and, and Milton is what makes an interesting comic. Mm-hmm. And again, is working inside a, a rom-com framework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a much more interesting comic. Again, it's kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. But given the choice between the discipline and Neuromancer, yeah. I'd go for Neuromancer any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I think we've talked about this around Black Kiss previously. Mm-hmm. But uh, what will I call them? Erotic comics mm-hmm. is very difficult to do, I think, because it's not that it's so subjective, but I feel that there's something about the way that comics works that either you get it entirely right or you just don't. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, like either, like you're you're literally making the comic of someone's fetish. Right. See, or, and that, that's where I was going to go or with. leaving them cold. Right. Oh, I see. So in other words, it's it's either a so complete like, miss or not, maybe a direct hit. If, if Yeah, it's not like the written word where your your brain creates the pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have some level of input and control that you can make it more attractive. Mm-hmm. And it's not like uh, – I was going to say porn, but that, you know, video porn, visual porn. Mm-hmm. Where, on a completely base level, you can be like, I find him attractive, I find her attractive. Right. This is turning me on, and I don't really give a shit about the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's something about the important image interplay in comics where it's the worst of both worlds. It, yeah, I can almost see that. I can almost see that. I think there are people for whom just seeing things drawn can be a... Uh, works for them in a way that I have to I have I'm I'm always almost ashamed to admit usually doesn't for me you know like visual porn like you said visual porn works on one level and written porn works on another what I find fascinating about comic book porn is is that uh, you know, it it is, it's either twice as banal or twice as transgressive as what you get from uh, video porn. I would think, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I I I can see that. I guess for my money, it's almost always twice as banal. Sure, yeah, because yeah. I I feel that both, or rather, I feel that like comics takes away the, uh the input that the viewer has in other forms somehow or, or, or I don't know there's something about it where it really does rely on the interplay between the text and the images in a way that removes the ability to either create your own images or ignore the text mm. huh interesting interesting I, I I mean my problem is is that I have seen some erotic comics that I like quite a lot and i'm i'm trying to figure out the trick to them uh well, but the trick genuinely could just be like they were about something that you're into do you know what i mean like I, I have absolutely no doubt that there are people for whom black kiss is astoundingly sexy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and you and i both found black kiss ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah. Black kiss is it, it genuinely is ridiculous. It's the most heart-shaking comic ever. And by the way, there's also vampires. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but someone out there, mm-hmm. and presumably a lot of someone's, 
mm-hmm. are loving it. Like, have always wanted the transgender vampire porn. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think when you just said it that way, I feel I almost feel like, <laughs> sure, like if Black me. Kiss was marketing itself that more openly, it would probably attract even more readers. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like, there, there is, like, I'm sure there's an audience who thinks that it's great because of that. But that's that's not my thing. And so I just see it as a comic. Well, I, right. I, right. If, I feel that if that was my thing, I wouldn't just be a comic. Like, it, it'd be the... the the representation of my fantasy. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's possible so the ones you like are literally just like prodding something that you're into. Well, uh, it's possible. I, I, no, I mean, I... I question, then. What's that? The, here's my question. The erotic comics that you've seen that you liked, mm-hmm. were they entirely separate from your own particular interests? Uh... I was I, I think that would be the trick. Yeah, and and that's what I was going to say is cuz I I think actually hmm I think that has happened. I mean, what's interesting is is I think that when uh, uh erotic anything has an element of uh, uh uh an argument in it. You know what I mean? It, in a way, it's sort of – it's kind of like, hey, it's just out there, and if you're into it, it's like awesome. But there are plenty of people who have to – you know. and I'm thinking more about when you run into something that you – you know, that weird realm that tends to happen, I think, more in, I guess, adolescence or something, where you hit something and you can't tell the degree to which you are repelled by it or you're attracted to it. You know? Sure. Yeah, that 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 bit when you're you're teenager or preteen and and you have this, I this thing terrifies me and I can't tell if it's a good terrifying or not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just kind of like the, like I am I am hyper aware of everything that's going on right now. Exactly. Why? Yeah. yeah, it's it's this weird state that is actually almost inseparable from dread. You know, except it's a it's a little more tingly, I guess, and. There's there, so so I think what's tough is is sometimes when you see, for me, erotic stuff that is done well that is that ends up sort of interesting you or or captivating you. It, it is at the end of it, it's a little bit closer to being your thing than it was at the start, you know. And so there's such a, um, sure, sure. yeah, you know what I mean? Had, yeah, because about the if nothing else, and I don't think this is limited to erotica. Yeah. I think there are many things that, if they're done well, you can come away going, I didn't think I liked that, but I like this particular example of it, so maybe I like that. Exactly. So, you know, for me, I uh, – it's and sometimes it's really hard to unpack some of the levels of this because in some cases they go back uh, – they do go back a long way. Like having access to the uh, Encyclopedia of World Comics uh, edited by Maurice Horn, I believe – um, gave me in very short, you know, maybe two or three panel excerpts, um, you know, exposure to say Barbarella, you know, or, but especially the works of Guido Crepax, you know, and Crepax's work is, um, beautiful. And, and I'm very, and in fact, I was thinking of it very much in that realm of, uh, erotic art that I find erotic, even though it's, uh, it's not necessarily it's, it's what writing. it actually is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, I don't actually like this as a thought, 
experiment. Right. But, yeah. yeah. You know, that, or... That's interesting, because I actually find Creepax's work uh, unattractive. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. necessarily ugly, but I, I I think I'm far too aware of his style to to read anything beyond, like... It's like Aubrey Beardsley, where I'm like, that's very well drawn. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't see it as a picture. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... So I think... And I think... But I think sometimes that ends up uh, serving a, a, a useful purpose. I mean, in a way, you know, in, in other words, there's levels of erotic comics for which um, the distance that sometimes gets brought in by the art, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking of stuff like, for example, uh, do you remember Necron? You know, the, they were the graphic novels. By... Honestly, the only Necron I remember is the DC villain who's the devil. Okay. Then, yeah. I don't think that's where you're going. This, uh, what I wish I was, because that would be great. That would be great <laughs> for me to be like, yeah, you know, just that whole thing where it's sexy because he's like the devil. But, like, he, because but he's Satan. Did you get but, it? Yes, but he's like green. Like his outfits are all like green leisure oh, wear. It's green. I yeah, that. I mean, it's always... <laughs> Necron's ridiculous. Come on. I mean, that's no, 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 no. I was thinking by uh, Magnus, um, the, the artist Magnus. I want to say it's Italian because, of course, the, the Italians are um... because of course. Well, because of course, and this is like no, a no, great I, example. I, I remember, I remember being in uh, in Europe. God, when it must have been like twenty years ago or something. Now, right? Um, and just because I'm a nerd, mm-hmm. being like, I'm going to see what the local comics are like, and be like, they're all porn. Yeah, they're. All porn, and there's various stripes of them, of course, but what is amazing is there is stuff where it's just, you know, Necron and and Ranzarox, and there is just a whole sort of genre slash subgenre of zombie robot boners, like, in the mid-80s and late... I mean, it came to the U.S. in the mid-80s. You later find out that this is the sort of stuff that, like, you know, depraved Italians were spanking it to, like, back in 69 or something, you know? It was like, ah, finally, sexual liberation. Let's break out the robot zombie boner porn where they're, like, sleeping with, like, evil mad scientists who have their tits out who, you know, are very eager to announce that they are 12 and cannibals. You know, it was just like, Italy, what are you doing? I I honestly feel like you've just created... Several subgenres right there. I I admit to conflating a couple. I'm kind of hoping people can figure out the pieces of which is which. God help us all if I've actually described one that actually exists out there. It would not. It wouldn't surprise me. But oh my god. So anyway, I you know not being the sort of person who digs that sort of thing, I have to say that I find uh the artist Magnus. I, shit, you know, the thing that's scary is I've got the books right over on my shelf. Um, Just look over. I can't guys. reach. Okay, hold on one second. Graham, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. One second. Wow, you've adopted the talk amongst yourself stuff. Listeners, this is a, a fine, fine day where we discover that my terrible filler conversation has spread to Jeff Lester as he reaches over to get his European pornography. Yes, and I'm back with my European porn, which is ridiculous because, as I recall, last time I tried looking this stuff up, I literally had to go to Wikipedia to find out who the guys were that were working under uh, pseudonyms for this stuff. But, um, yeah, so 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 Necron is 
is basically the adventures of this evil scientist named Frida, who is who is about the <laughs> most Frida. Yeah, that's there's an evil scientist name. If e- exactly. Heard. Yeah, who runs around w- without pants, and uh, she is only, I think, attracted to corpses, which is why her um, the only <laughs> per- thing that can get her off is her giant robot with the boner a zombie robot with the boner wow i'm oh shocked God. by how much of this i was not making up uh you know it necron who of course runs around with his, his enormous penis out while he you know okay wait wait, all the, wait, wait, yeah. wait 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 let's let's <laughs> i just love that you're like wait 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 if you'll avoid the phrase let's drill down on this jeff yeah um you own this presumably because you think it's great, or you think the artist is great. I Why actually, do you have a book of this? I guess is what I'm asking. I, uh, I do think that the art is great. At first, part of me, I'll, I'll be honest, I had seen this stuff. I want to say that it was be, had been reprinted during in heavy metal during the '80s. You know, it definitely sounds like heavy metal. Exactly metal. right. Yeah, the of course was clearly coming. You know. Uh, and then I came across copies in a used bookstore and I had this whole like, oh, this will be great. I'll pick this up and I'll talk about this on the podcast. And it's literally been years because, of course, That's I read it. It took you that long to get to it. I, no, I read it. I read it a while ago. Yeah, it's it's uh, the the backlog of stuff we have to talk about. But also I was kind of like, eh, it's not so good. But there are <laughs> moments that are uh, really – because there's, there's stuff where the style reminds me a lot of um, – you know, Daniel Torres, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, just in like a really just it's black and white and a very lovely line, really in some places close to Linnea Claire uh, and with a very cartoony like situations where like people are having their, you know, clothes peeled off and they're they're they have like exclamation points over their head or, you know, stuff like that. That's just um that I find – I don't find it erotic, but I do find it appealing in a way that is sort of um, – I don't know, is close to erotic. I don't know. It's just that weird thing of like when you go to like a museum and you see a painting of a naked lady and you really appreciate it. It's not like you're like I'm aroused or I have a boner or anything, but it's this weird confluence of of uh an intimation of the erotic and like you said the there's that distance you know you talk about that distance uh it, like you know some like if it's not necessarily your thing and i think chicken is is a pretty good example of this in the sense that chicken is such a um you know he's a he's a comic stylist and th- this honestly is the same way for me uh with like say gilbert hernandez's Birdland is that what's interesting to me about it is the way in which the cartoonist's invocation of something immediate. It's weird. Cartooning can be uh, an incredible form of immediacy and so can uh, erotic feelings. And depending on how it is, maybe there are those people for whom that's like a a one-two punch. But for me, it's that weird the way in which they don't reinforce each other and create yeah, this yeah. strange valley in between the two, you know. An uncanny valley. And if you will. Yeah, you know, it's, where... It's interesting that you, you brought up Hernandez because Gilbert Hernandez 
is a creator who's to get back to the chicken thing for a second, mm-hmm. whose very clear fetishes appear in his non-erotic work. Yes, yeah. Uh, and like Chaikin, overpower it to the point where I find it not distasteful because that sounds prudish, but just like I lose interest in what would otherwise be there because I'm like, there's Gilbert Hernandez with his massively breasted woman again. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because I do feel like... I feel one of the things I think is interesting about Hernandez is I feel there are ways in which I I always assumed and I could be wrong that like big boobs are not his thing. Like as you may remember, he went through a period where really? maybe work really? maybe. because yeah no I I don't know how to describe. have you read his work yeah I, <laughs> I I have and I don't know why it always feels like it's a um it's it's. It's it's a ruse. It's a bit of a lure. It's something that he's having a bit of a – either sometimes he's having a laugh with it or sometimes he's playing with the imagery of it. Like, I mean, uh, for me, for example, and people could disagree and be totally uh, – think me absolutely wrong. His character, Luba, uh, is the one who f- first comes to mind because sure. I feel like the first super enormous yeah. breasted woman. And, and in fact, the other women in his work who have similar chest size, I, you know, amusingly enough, always end up being related to her. Yes. Uh, she is a, 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 a sort of a, a very complicated figure in the work because she is, um, she is a at once she is a maternal figure and she is a sexualized figure and so that's that's literally presented by you know the massive chachungas but the thing but the thing that's to, to get all academic on you say, I know right now I can imagine at least three people listening to this podcast just rolling their eyes when you say oh, as well they should I mean that's <laughs> come on I use also, the term chachungas this is ridiculous <laughs> one of them. Yeah, that is true. So I, you know, so there, there's this, there's this thing where he he presents that as so he's clearly taking the, for lack of a better term, sort of the Madonna horror complex, uh, combining them in one figure. She is both overly sexualized and she's this mother figure to a lot of people in Palomar. And then he goes actually to great lengths to kind of make her n- neither like her, her, what she wants, which is always not always clear to herself is a set of ambitions or desires, or even just frustrations um, that that run outside the gamut of those two. Additionally, there's usually a figure in the Hernandez work where there is a slight, a much more petite or slighter uh, female figure uh, as a sort of strain, as a kind of quasi counterpoint to the to Luba, who ends up being um, more sexual. You know, like there, there's, uh, I, and I'm thinking of. You know, if you follow it all the way down, I sort of want to say that I want to say it's like Pipo uh, ends up being the one who is way more motivated by sex than even someone like the character of Fritz, who's one of Luba's daughters in her later work, who, again, also has like enormous breasts. 
I feel that Hernandez and I could be wrong because it's tough. First off, everything that he draws is gristed into a mill of obsessiveness. And I feel that that obsessiveness can uh, frequently be conflated with uh, erotic attraction. But, you know, I, I think that when he does show his sexual obsessions, like there was that whole period where it was like, like belly dancing and women like cracking their, um, uh, cracking nuts with their stomach muscles, or there was a period where it was all about women's thighs. You know, I, I feel that he's got, a. You know, the big breasted thing is really a way of looking at the way other people in the work usually end up objectifying the, the, the big breasted women in his work and how they come to terms with that. I suppose in some cases they're completely lost, you know, or they use it as a, a way to further their own ends, whether those ends are sexual interests in a completely different realm or not. Um, but it's never, for me, I don't ever really feel like the, the big breasts in his work are truly about big breasts because there's just a completely different way in which he goes about presenting the big breastedness very differently from the way that gets presented in, I don't know, the, the sort of typical, and this is a bad example because compared to Jim Ballant, Everyone sort of seems sort of, you know, more sexually uh, mature, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so that's that's just my take on it, Graham. I, and and, and I, I, have... I, I think you uh, I think you provide both a valiant case, but I think you're maybe giving him too much credit. But... <laughs> oh, I'm giving Gilbert Hernandez too much credit. Ladies and gentlemen, I will now tell you Graham McMillan's home address so you can send the hate mail directly to him. Uh, not to the address that we provide at Wait What But wait, I want to ask you, yeah. bouncing off that, what did you think of the Twilight Children? Uh, I have, I don't, is, is it over? Because I've got, I got in, okay, yeah, I'm I'm so far behind, uh, I'm at least, it was six issues, right? I think I read the first four. four. Yeah. Oh, was it four? Oh, it's then I read the first three, and I haven't read the last issue. That, that would make a lot more sense. I was like, I haven't been away from the store for that long. Uh, you know, I w the first three issues of which I was I was digging. I actually uh, liked a lot, but I'll have to see where it's going to go. Of course, but I, I want to say I there's. Found it, I found yeah. it amazingly instructive in that it seemed to. Uh, I felt Hernandez's writing really felt like it was lacking without his art. Which was very interesting to me because I always felt like, as I just said, his 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 visual uh, iconography overpowered everything else. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'd I'd see Luba and I'd be like, oh god, and roll my eyes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm reading the Hernandez book, where which is drawn by Darwin Cook, mm -hmm. and it fe it felt much um, more shallow, I guess, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, than what I expected from Gilbert Hernandez. And I also think that Darwin Cook came off less interesting as well hmm. it, it 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 seemed like a a really interesting collaboration that somehow made both of the creators seem less interesting i can see that i can see that i mean uh 
it's tough because again, I feel in a weird comparison to to Peter Milligan. I think I think Hernandez is absolutely um, fucking tremendous and uh, one of the major cartoonists of the late twentieth century. Um, I I don't I have not been paying attention to his work very closely at all over the last five or six years. And it's interesting because even as he started moving into and six years, maybe longer, 10, I mean, he's always been a very, very prolific, almost to the point of obsessive cartoonist. And at one point, as I think, you know, you know, he was doing a series of self-contained stories slash graphic novels for dark horse that which he are, still is oh good that he's that are, still doing work for dark horse and fans graphics and then he also did this vertical series and he's doing love and rockets right i'm sorry what i what i meant more specifically is that i mean yes he's doing stuff for all those people uh but i mean that he was doing work for dark horse in which the the stories were movies that you know, were basically the movies oh, that I remember the, characters the, Fritz yes. yeah, was making in the Love and Rockets stories. Mm-hmm. So there were these weird levels. It was it was almost as if um, Hernandez, among other things, was sort of toying with uh, the sort of Tezuka idea of taking – using uh, – coming up with a way to use stock characters and draw the same types with different roles in different situations. That being said, I was like, and that should totally be up my alley, and yet it kind of is not. Is kind it kind of isn't. Um, so for me, un- unlike Milligan, which I'll return to in a second, for me Hernandez is one of those people who absolutely was, you know, a, a, a towering talent, and now is I think I think his best days are behind him, or at least for me, his most interesting days are behind him, like. Uh, so walking into Twilight Children, I was just like, there's not going to be really any way that that we are going to, you know, get a major work out of this from Hernandez. And I'm actually having this weird feeling, and it started in around the time of the last, the last Parker book, that we might never see a major work from cook and it depends on what your definition of major is for those people who think new frontier is a major work you know but i i mean i i, I am one of those jeff well and i get that i That's and I, I don't mean to disparage I, it no. i'm just trying to trying to slice the well mm, it, yeah it depends how you look at it because exactly. new frontier for me for my money is a major work but at the same time it's also a major work on dc superheroes like in the same way that i feel that you know, I, I'm not sure you could really say that uh, Jeff Johns has produced a major work mm-hmm. because it's all been in. I don't want. To, I don't want to go. It's all been in service of copyrights, but I kind of that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel that uh, even Parker is more of a major work for Cook than the New Frontier, right? Because he's working outside of um, outside of his own nostalgia to more of an extent. Even though Parker is again a heavily nostalgic book, yeah. Uh, I, I feel that New Frontier is great, and mm-hmm. it, it may be my favorite Cook work, mm-hmm. but it's also very much uh, I am servicing and trying to restore the trademarks that I loved as a kid. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I think it, I think I think it's I think the easiest way to sort of gracefully exit the 
aesthetic quagmire that we're, we're, we're we've shuffled into is, is to say that yeah because of the restrictions of the genre and of characters that are heavily owned and protected by copyright there are inherent limitations in in the superhero medium that i think as a general rule lead to work that that just kind of doesn't quite have the potential to be you know a quote unquote greater work of art you know for you jeff yes uh, because i i don't want to back into this quagmire i want to dive deeper into oh, it and ask, my god did you read superman the coming of the superman issue one by neil adams <laughs> no no i didn't oh jeff lester that batman odyssey magic is alive uh, is it oh my god I oh, oh yes it. it is and this is why the last three pages of the comic sees superman brought back in time by i think he's called the oracle he's basically like a green monster dude mm -hmm. uh, to see the sphinx being built <laughs> and guess who's in charge of building the sphinx aliens better kryptonians ancestors what the last page is superman going you expect me to believe darkseid built the sphinx and the monster goes, I expect you to look more closely when I show you the truth that is not Darkseid, but his progenitor. Superman says, what, his father? Are you saying? And in classic Neil Adams fashion, the monster says, I am saying nothing. I show you the facts and you must make sense of them or fail and lose everything. Wow. It is amazing. And when I say amazing, I mean, I honestly don't know who the audience for this is unless it is people who wanted another Batman Odyssey. I, like, I, unless mm -hmm. DC's actually thinking there is a market out here for people who want to see Neil Adams embarrass himself, <laughs> make a camp classic. I have no idea who DC thinks they're publishing. Well, I, I think, well, oh, I, so I think it's, I think and, it's... And, and interestingly enough, mm -hmm. when the book was published, uh, DC's PR guy was retweeting lots of positive reviews, all of which were positive because they were laughing at it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 okay. A, I think that there is there is a level at which DC um, uh, is comfortable with that, you know, because <laughs> sales are sales. I think there's also an extent to which Neil Adams and DC have. Whatever the nature of their relationship. Understanding. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's still a lot of things that DC wants with Neil Adams, you know, or Neil Adams is very good at schmoozing the editors. But considering we had, didn't wasn't one of DC's recent variant cover months like Neil Adams Neil month? Adams month? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really do think that it's, it's one of those things where uh, – they have an understanding and the understanding seems to be Neil Adams still has a name, can still draw enough of an audience uh, in, in at least the, in at least the let's keep him drawing covers for us kind of way that they're willing to be like, yeah, sure. You can do your comic book too, you know, as long as we sell enough copies and by God, however we sell those copies, we will. Um, you know, I, I think that, I think that's fine. I think, honestly, I think there's been, Batman Odyssey is such a, 
has such a reputation in internet circles as an, oh my God, you've got to read this kind of book that it, it is a camp classic. It, it is. is a camp classic and I got to read it. And I have to say, I totally, when Superman was coming out, I'm like, oh man, I've got to, got to pick that up because it is, it's, it's, you know, the great thing about Neil Adams I mean, I feel like it's almost all but a given that any cartoonist is going to go insane, you know, once they <laughs> hit whatever the magic age is, whatever. I don't know what the number is. It's a number in an envelope. It's a different number for every cartoonist. But let's face it. They are going to go batshit by a certain age. Neil Adams is probably the least problematic of the batshit cartoonist. He's not turning around yet. I mean, we'll see where things go and talking about what sort of like crazy repressive government we should have, or he's not saying things about women that are just absolutely completely appalling. It's just, he's got some really wonky ideas about storytelling and science. And that's great. I mean, that's where, I mean, that is, isn't that really the lifeblood of superhero comic books is like to deeply misunderstand science and to have a complete <laughs> misunderstanding of how to tell a good story, that's pretty much where the, that's the comics, you know, the mouth of the Nile for us. You know? I honestly thought you would have put Moore as the, the least problematic creator who's gone crazy. Uh, well, I have to say, for one thing, I split out cartoonists from... Oh, okay, you're, you're saying cartoonists as opposed to writers and artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think writers and artists, like, they have to, you know, Alan Moore being the, the overachieving crank that he is, is is happy to try and move up to the realm of, of crackpot. And, you know, he went through that period where he's like, well, surely, I mean, look at me. I'm a magician. I must be insane. I mean, here I am practicing the occult. You'd have to call me a crazy nut, right? And they're like, nah, not really. And he's like, motherfucker. All right, I'll figure out something else. But, you know, like, as opposed to <laughs> people like Steve Ditko, that it comes naturally. You just see Alan Moore being like, mm, what can I do? I just, I can't, I can't, I can't really you know, store jars of my own urine It, you know, the, the thought's appalling and really I don't like having people <laughs> over to the house, so how are I they going to know? I fully believe he is storing jars of his own urine. Oh yeah! <laughs> I, I love you there he's like, that's ridiculous! Whereas in my mind, I'm like, I'm sure he started doing that like, back when Jim Lee did him dirty. He was like, that's it, I can't even trust the toilets! <laughs> Okay, it's so totally true. Continuing our tour of um, of people who whose best days are arguably behind them. Mm -hmm. Dark Knight three issue three. Mm, totally missed it. Totally, I haven't been. Yes, to that was the number one book in the market yeah. last month. Let's see, when did it just come out? In like the last week? I swear to God, I went to the store. Did I not? I, I feel like it's just like two weeks old or three. Weeks old. Oh, okay, all right. It, I think it, it must just be because it. it wasn't out the last time we spoke, and we spoke two weeks ago. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was the highest ordered book of the month. Mm -hmm. I feel something's gone wrong when that's true. Don't get me wrong. I know it's Frank Miller adjacent, shall we say. Right. Uh, I know that it's like DC's really put a push behind it. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but feel that when Dark Knight 3 issue 3 is the best selling book of, of the market, something's gone weird. Right? I, actually, all of February's sales were weird. All of February, let's face it, February like does look kind of weird. Spider-Man issue one, mm -hmm. the, the Miles Morales book, mm -hmm. was only issues at number seven, which seems super low to me. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Iron Fist was at number ten. Was at number ten, which seems crazily high. 
Rats! I feel like something weird happened with the orders in, in, in February. Anyway, Dark Knight 3, issue 3. Right. I got, in the mail, uh, a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, the Dark Knight Returns Anniversary Promotional Package. You might have seen people talk about this on the internet. This is a massive box the DC sent out to press, mm-hmm. which contains the uh, the Dark Knight 2 paperback, the new Dark Knight Returns 30th Anniversary paperback, mm-hmm. which has, I put this up in the Tumblr, Miller's original pitch for the Dark Knight in there. Ooh. Hmm. Uh, which is, fascinatingly enough, a pitch for Batman Year One. Hmm. And also, it's called Holy Terror. <laughs> which is lucky, right? But yeah. it is Batman Year One. He's mm-hmm. literally described in the first issue of Batman Year One in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's dated, uh, it's dated February 29th, 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, I, I, so I've read... Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, Dark Knight Returns and then Dark Knight 2 again. I haven't read Dark Knight 2 in years. Mm-hmm. Maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has aged interestingly. Uh, my, put this way, my reaction to it was very different now than it was when it came out. Or even when I reread it after it came out. Mm-hmm. I remembered it being much more transgressive than it actually is. It's actually an amazingly conservative book mm-hmm. that I think is disguised as such by the art. I think if someone else had drawn it, then it would have seemed more conservative. And what's happening with Dark Knight 3 is Dark Knight 3 is is a DC event book. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially after reading those other two books and then reading the third issue of Dark Knight 3, there really was just that moment of, this isn't a Dark Knight book. Like, there is none of Miller's insanity. Mm-hmm. It, instead, it's... It's an it's an event book. It's practically a Justice League book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, have you dropped off the series? Do you think you're not going to continue? No, I think I'll come back. But feel feel free to talk about it openly because I'm in the sense of I'm not worried about being spoiled by anything because I definitely after two issues of Dark Knight three, I was like, there's there's not really going to be any way to. Sp- Boil this for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly everything that you think is going to happen happens. Yeah. Namely, the Kandorians, or are they Kandorians? Yeah, they are. They're from Kandor. Mm-hmm. Uh, declare war on humanity. Say basically, you've got two days to to sort your shit out and then surrender to us. Uh, and Bruce Wayne is like, I've got to be Batman again. Fuck it. I've got to go and wake up Bruce. Uh, wake up Clark. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that he attempts to wake up Clark Kent who is frozen in ice, remember? Yes. By saying, uh, I know you can hear me, Hal, you're probably looking at through your eyelids at me with that damn x-ray vision. Well, take a hard, good, good hard look. I'm broken, Boy Scout. I can't do this anymore. It'll kill me. Which is super... It feels almost spitting in the face of, of the previous two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and earlier, he says to, to Carrie Kelly, uh... He gave up th- about Superman. He gave up three years ago after we nearly got this planet destroyed. Mm-hmm. And Carrie goes, I was there, remember? We saved the world. And he mm-hmm. goes, the victor writes the history. We took it to the brink. It feels very much like the the over-the-top, leave-everything-on-the-field nature of Dark Knight 2. Which really is ridiculously like, superheroes do big things! Oh, yeah. Is then, in this series, 
really obviously replaced by a conservative. Field. Well, and don't you think that I'm trying to restore the classic DC mm-hmm. status quo? Mm-hmm. Not even the Dark Knight one, which is still pretty fucking classic DC. Because it's like, hey, do you remember the Atom? He's awesome. Do you remember the Flash? He's awesome. Do you remember Green Lantern? He's also awesome. Yeah. No, I mean the thing that's well. There's a couple of things going on like with Dark Knight too, as you point out. One in in a lot of ways, it is a it is a very conservative book. In that, despite what. Miller is literally insisting on the last page, which is essentially that, uh, how do I put it? For lack of a better term, nostalgia is for the old. It doesn't matter how young you are. You know, if you, if you have it, you've got it, you know, even as he works in tributes to, uh, Mad Magazine comics, as long as as well as giving very fond spins on all the other DC heroes that he never really got a, a turn at. That you can tell he's kind of like, nah, you know, I always wanted to do a Flash story. I always had a way to make the Atom cool. You know, just kind of that loose sketchbook slash to do list of mm. stuff he never got around with. That being said, I also have to say that Dark Knight Two is a is when I reread it before our first roundtable uh, discussion for for the website, I was shocked by how weirdly prescient Miller was about the goonier parts of pop culture. Like the stuff, it's very for me. It's really hard to remember that Dark Knight Two came out before Occupy, and of course Miller goes on when Occupy actually happens to kind of poo-poo it and call those kids a bunch of idiots being, you know, manipulated by, you know, Al Jazeera or something. But but in Dark Knight 2, he has a situation where there's a complete uprising in New York and the police are desperately trying to batter it down. But what those people are supporting is superheroes, you know, essentially rising up against the government. He's got that. He basically has Pussy Riot like six years before (laughs) Pussy Riot happens with all this stuff about the Wonder Chicks, about taking this idea of revolutionary concept dressed up in in over-sexualized, weirdly Gaga-esque outfits. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that's there that the stuff that really where I was like, when I read it, I was like, oh, Frank, you are a nutbag. You just, you really just went in this ridiculous direction. And then rereading it for our, our roundtable and being like, okay, he's a nutbag for other issues, but I have yeah, to say. He, he's a nutbag, but he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. His ability, his ability to try and figure out a way to parody where he thought modern culture was going ended up being far closer to where modern culture actually ended up than I think that even he was expecting. So, you know, so I really do have to kind of give him uh, some, some props for that. What I find interesting, but before I circle back to the other stuff about this issue of Dark Knight three, do you think that it's tone, this weird, like, Oh, we almost put the world, we almost destroyed the world, but then we realized, and now we have to bring the band, quote unquote, back together. 
how much do you think that's going to um, th- that conservatism? How much do you think that's going to par- parallel what we'll see in Batman versus Superman? I'm not sure how to answer that. Mm-hmm. I think it will parallel it to a to a degree, but I think Batman versus Superman is actually going to be closer in tone to the original Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. In the uh, I I feel that it's going to be I feel like it's going to be conservative in other ways. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I don't think it's going to be it's going to really track the tone of of Dark Knight Three. Mm-hmm. Although I would not be surprised if Azarello and Miller are trying to guess at the tone of Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, about that, I watched the I watched Man of Steel again this week. For the first mm. time since it was in theaters, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that afterwards. Yes. I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't lose my thread. Um, when you're talking about in Dark Knight Two, it's seeming like a prediction of the world to come. Mm-hmm. What really struck me about this issue of Dark Knight Three is it feels like now, mm-hmm. which also feels like a massive shift for Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Dark Knight and Dark Knight Two did feel like quote unquote the future, even if it was like three days from now. But it felt like you know a prediction of the world that's coming. Mm-hmm. And Dark Knight Three specifically doesn't because you get Bill O'Reilly show up, you get Donald Trump show up, you get the Fox and Friends cast show up, and you see Obama as the president. That's and interesting. All of, well, exactly. That's really strange. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I can't work out if it's everyone involved suggesting we caught up with that world, mm-hmm. or that they've just given up. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they have no in, more interest in predicting a future because they're they're trying to do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, it doesn't have any of the. I mean, rereading Dark Knight Two now, I a, a lot of what you were talking about, I found really annoying. In the same way that when I read the original Dark Knight, I really hate the muties. I really hate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find them. <laughs> Astoundingly irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, in the, in the 30th anniversary collection, um, Miller says that the way they talk is is based on Lynn Varley and her friends. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I've heard. Is is that just nuts to me? Yeah, Lynn Lynn Varley. I want to say her when they say her, her friends. Yeah, the rumor was I think it was always her brother and her friends as yeah. out of. Where, wherever the hell it was, Philly or Boston, or... That, which is just mm-hmm. it's crazy to me. But there you go. Um, anyway, but the, the muties always really annoyed me, even from the first time I read it. And rereading Dark Knight Two this time, I found so much of the deliberate crassness. I mean, don't get me wrong; I don't think Miller was trying to do anything other than being crass. Mm-hmm. But I, I really got irritated at it, uh, and it seemed. Ironically, like an old man trying to be young, even as the rest, because clearly an old man being old. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wait, uh, you'll have to you have to roll it back because I think my um, uh, my attention wavered. You're you're saying that you thought the the stuff that I thought was kind of prescient, you thought was and, just and sort it of crass. It, it, it yeah. is prescient, mm-hmm. but I think in the book itself, it yeah, I really do think it comes across as I uh, just. Objectionable in multiple levels. Yes, I think, no, agreed. I, it's crass. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's uh, it's crazily sexist. Yeah, I think it's ageist. Mm-hmm. I, I it it very much reads 
even knowing that Miller was right, like this has become the discourse, but it still reads like an old man bemoaning, like kids get off my lawn, why can't you use proper English? Like sure. what are you talking about? Like, and, and that, that really, oh, really, it sticks in my craw, Jeff. I don't even know where <laughs> craw is, but it sticks. In Wherever that craw can be found. That craw is, that's where it's sticking. But this, this, like Dark Knight 3 is not even attempting it. Dark Knight mm-hmm. 3 is, is literally, this is the world outside your window. It just happens to be invaded by Kandorians, which, it, which, uh, more than anything, more than Batman versus Superman, seems really reminiscent to Man of Steel for me, especially now that I've just watched Man of Steel again. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Man of Steel is just, it's Superman, and here we're getting invaded by Kryptonians. Right. Well, that's that's actually a great point. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I think there, well, there's a few things here. One thing is, is uh, I feel that Azzarello is taking elements that he liked about Dark Knight, the first Dark Knight, and playing those or developing those. And the thing that's interesting about Dark Knight is that it exists in a, the first Dark Knight really exists in a uh, that strange zone that I feel like mm, most art doesn't try to pull off because it gets confusing, but it's simultaneously supposed to be contemporary and something from the future. You know, there's, there's a, cause in dark Knight one, it's very, it was not really common. I feel at the time, like you'd occasionally see, I don't know, like in a Marvel superhero book, you, or the Avengers, you'd see David Letterman or his Saturday Night Live cast, but in a way that they were super heroic, you know, in Dark Knight One, you can really make the case that when David Letterman pops up, uh, as David, you know, unidentified, but is him and dies at the hands of the Joker, uh, that, that, that Miller actually has a, a, a a really cranky, but not necessarily an accurate take about Letterman sort of about how he feels that that form of irony is destructive, you know? And, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff that is, you know, and Miller was working very much in this time. You see it when it really falls flat in something like say Martha Washington, where he's like, Oh, I'm, taking elements of the discourse, you know, and I'm, I'm pumping them up to ridiculous levels, uh, to make my point that, yeah. you know, that Martha it, Washington is, is a book that really hasn't aged well. I, I, it, to me, it did not age great coming it's, out of the, exactly. yeah. You're like, it didn't even come out well, but yeah. I, uh, cause Dark Horse did their, their massive collection of it mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. slightly longer. Um, and I read that last year and that's, when you read all of it, because I also didn't realize there was so fucking much Martha yeah, Washington. Right. I honestly thought it was give me liberty and then maybe a one shot. And there's so much more. But it just Martha Washington is is Miller trying to um Miller when you referenced Mad Magazine earlier on, mm-hmm. Miller is fascinating in that he is one of the few comic creators of that generation. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely everyone that's followed, who's, who is interested in engaging in that sort of discussion with popular culture, mm-hmm. who, who is, is interested in satirizing and commenting on popular culture beyond just 
look at Samuel L. Jackson, that's Nick Fury now. Right. Or or name dropping. He mm-hmm. uh, he actually is interested in trying to have a conversation with with society as is. Yeah. As it is, he his conversation is increasingly you know, get off my lawn. It is yes. sadly and I know this is not the case. I read the interview with him, but I would I would not be too surprised if he came out and endorsed Donald Trump. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I know he won't. I he said that in the interview this week, but right. But yeah, he's made noises like from early on, that, like around the first issue, that he was going to support Hillary Clinton. I think, right? Yeah, and I, I, but mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like he, he he seems to be getting to that level of not only cranky but crank, mm-hmm. which is. Yeah, off-putting, let's be honest. Well, yeah, but, no, absolutely. But he's always tried to comment on, or at least since Dark Knight, at least, has tried to comment on this. Uh, the problem is you go back to Martha Washington, and he's doing it in, like, again, a crazily crass way. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, we're the lesbian Nazi. Yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking of. I remember getting like, to that oh, page shit. and being like, forget this. Yeah. Yeah. You know. uh, and, and the funny thing is, the more... Martha Washington as a, as a character goes on in later series. Mm-hmm. I feel that it gets more and more unsubtle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's really strange. It re- the first Give Me Liberty reads very much like, oddly enough, Miller's version of what Wagner does really good and well in Judge Dredd. Yeah, and then the more he does with the character, the more I feel that he moves away from the liberal and hopeful aspects. Of give me liberty, mm-hmm. uh, and really gives in to cynicism, mm-hmm. and, and in a way that that just becomes increasingly ugly to read. Yeah, uh, I, I was going somewhere with that. I was going to take it back to Dark Knight, but it's gone. It's gone, it's, Jeff. Sorry about that. Yeah, we tripped you up. We'll, we'll, shall we move we'll on? Well, you know, let let me do. I, I do want to at least point out that it, that for for me, I think it's very edifying. There's a few things that are really problematic with Miller. Uh, did you did you see the piece that was on Paragon or Motherboard or Paragon is a subset of Motherboard? Uh, the woman who was writing about her experience as a lifelong comic book geek. Oh, yes, yes, and, and, and the the Miller. But it's not for me element of it. Yeah. Well, it's not for me, but also this unfortunate feeling of like, but this, you know, this was for me, like my introduction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's a great little piece. We'll link to it in the show notes. And I remember in some ways it just really just because it's very short and to the point and doesn't tend to play around, splash around in sort of the Internet bathos. uh, It really, I think, makes a, a it's point pretty powerfully that she's like, the more I read his work, the more and more I can find no place for myself for it. And the more I feel, and this is the thing that I I think is problematic is Miller's treatment of women starts bad and gets worse. And I think that that is something later on post nine 11, when all the other hateful elements come out and to be fair, you can find, you know, striations of some of that throughout. The other elements were in there from the start. Yeah, they, they, they were, and they are. So it's a, it's a fascinating world of trying to figure out, you know, it, it, it's funny that in a way that, that Miller, for me is going to get, you know, it talked very early about endorsing Hillary because he's so 
embodies so much of what was driving everyone crazy about the worst of the Bernie Sanders supporters. You know, I mean, it's like Miller is from Vermont and considers himself super liberal. And yet that definition of liberalism is only comfortable when it's surrounded by white maleness. And once it moves outside of that realm, it quickly falls into a form of paternalism that, that, you know, that is practically outright colonialism. And it's really interesting to see, to, to see those connections being, um, out there in the world, I don't necessarily know if they're going to get bundled and tied up so neatly. I'm honestly like, Jeff, I so want to talk to you more about this, but also then it would turn into the Wait What episode where everyone stops listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Do do you think so? Yes. Uh, Okay. I I think there are certain things that you cannot say on the internet these days, and one of them is anything political. Uh, that that probably is true. That that level of discourse is incredibly is incredibly difficult these days. And just at this point, unfortunately, it's it's ha- it's for me. I feel like over the last month, it has just it's slowly. I can't even hear anything anymore. It's just like it, I'm just annoyed by the kind of masticating sound that goes with what almost whatever level of discourse it is. Yeah, I, I, it, I, it's, it, it, the, the, uh, it's funny to see political Twitter become more reactionary than comics Twitter. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like when you have Bernie and Hillary supporters who, you know, for the large for, – for most things are in agreement. Yes. Turn into Marvel and DC supporters. Right. Where you can't say one nice thing about one without it being read in that you're actually in, you know, endorsing that person and hate the other. Right. Right. Is, is uh, disheartening to a really genuinely tiring degree. It, you know? it, it, yeah, it's disheartening. I mean, it's tiring. It's, it, to me, it's just, I don't know. I feel. That's why I think we should all vote for Donald Trump. I can't even say that for that. No. Yeah. I can't even say it. No. Nope. Yeah. Anyone who thought that I was in the least bit serious, no. Right. Thank you. Thank you for rolling that back. So let's move on. Let let us move on to talk about Man of Steel and then the other Superman uh, item that I would like to discuss as well. Okay. So Man of Steel. I I liked Man of Steel. You mm-hmm. remember when it came out? And watching it again, I like it more. Interesting. I I really liked it the second time around. Yeah. Uh, and I like it. Very much because it is not the Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is very clearly there. It has it has problems. Let's let's not lie about that. But, <laughs> I apparently it, I, really need to, to watch the, rewatch this movie because I'm trying not to mock you. Uh, no, no, no! You, you totally mock me. I'll, uh, I'll get around to it. I'm but sure. it's I genuinely appreciate the way in which it is pretty much let's just just do a science fiction film with Superman in there. Watching the sheer level of stupid carnage at the end mm-hmm. became weirdly hypnotic because at one point I was like it's not that I'm worried about fictional people dying 
Mm-hmm. But they don't even seem to be there. <laughs> Where are the people in the city? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you get reaction shots, so obviously there are people there. Right. But then they like they start fighting and they fly through buildings and everyone in the buildings is deserted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, did they all just like? Is everyone just on the ground watching? And if so, why when they're then the streets do you not see anyone? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. honestly like the CGI rendered like forgot to add the people. Well, or honestly, I think there was a level of distress that I think that they were. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was. But, a I, too I, but understandably, but also, I yeah. like the scariness of it. I mm-hmm. genuinely like the scariness of, of the of the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did the first time around, but I, I think I did more this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the neck snapping and hilarious no afterwards is, uh, let's be honest, kind of shitty. If you take that out, and it feels really strange to say that, if you take the climactic moment of the film out, I really like everything that comes before it, and I still think the actual end of the film is perfect for a Superman film. It's so strange. Like, I still am like, yeah, the next snapping does not work. Mm-hmm. There are at least three ways around that that are actually in the fucking film. Oh, yeah? Like what? That they didn't go for. You could stick him back in the Phantom Zone. You could cover his eyes so he can't zap the people. Or you could literally just fly him into the fucking air. Because <laughs> he can fly, Superman. And if he's holding onto a guy who's trying to zap someone else, just fly him into the air. Mm-hmm. Then you'll be zapping something else. You know, like, there, there's, there's the fact that Superman had to do it. I get what they were going for. But it's the way they get there is totally fake. Um, but and what, but what, what do you think that they were going for? Because I think this is also kind of important. They're going for <laughs> Superman will never kill because he is killed, and it he knows like, and it, it was the wrong thing to do, and he knew it. Mm. That that he he made this he made this decision, and is so haunted by it that he will never do it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he sees it as the ultimate abuse of the power. Um. But it's but it's totally unearned. Like there are so many things that you could have done instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but before that, I feel that the I really like the. I feel that they really do build up the idea that Superman has no idea what he's doing. Like not just in terms of like he's a terrible superhero, but like he does not know what he's there for. Yes. He is searching for some purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I don't like again in terms of unearned moments after the 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 fight. He's talking to his mother and he's like, I wish my dad could have seen me take on everything I'm intended for. And that's unearned as well. You know, like, because what did he actually learn? You know, I learned that I was put on here to fight Zod. Really? <laughs> I don't buy it. Um, like, the, bit, the, the very, like, the, the very end where he goes as Clark Kent into the planet and the final exchange, it's, it still, like, just made me beam. I, I think it's so. David Goyer is not a good writer, but I think that exchange is still perfect as the ending for a Superman origin movie. And I forget, what what is it? Is that... Uh, 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 Perry White introduces Clark Kent to... to Lois Lane. Steve and Lois, and Lois stands up and is like, Lois Lane, Daily, Pla- Daily Planet. Uh, no, she says, uh, Lois Lane, welcome to the planet. And mm-hmm. he says, I'm glad to be here. And then it cuts the credits. And I'm like, that's what I want for the end of my Superman film. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great. It's it's super cute. I really like that as an ending for a Superman film. 
Um, so yeah, I really liked it. You're going to tear me apart. So go. No, well, uh, uh right. <laughs> Counterpoint, let him crash. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's such a bad movie. It's such a bad movie. I'll have to rewatch it. I mean, and it's I, this thing, I, like, do you remember kind of when I walked out of Ant-Man and you were sort of like, eh, eh, it sucked, didn't you? And I'm like, no, I'm like, and you're like, I feel like you're just working hard to, like, you don't want to admit that you hated it. I'm like, no, I liked it. It's just not a good movie, you know? I, I genuinely like Man of Steel, and I think it is a good movie. How can you think that a movie <laughs> that opens up with 30 minutes, it feels like, nine and a half hours of Russell Crowe jumping around on magic Kryptonian dragons. I love that. And I'm not being sarcastic. I love that. Okay. First off, I'm like, that's fine if you love it. But you can't say that it's technically good, can you? You can't say that yes. that's good. How can I not? If I love it, how can I like? Why, if I love it, can I not argue that it's good? Because that is making a grave mistake when it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe I maybe it's literally a reaction to seeing too many Marvel movies. But I really like. I've appreciated the occasionally misguided mm-hmm. but definitely present ambition of Man of Steel. Because it felt like it actually was trying to do something in the, the superhero movies don't now mm-hmm. because they're trying to be Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's this funny. I mean that I'm not just quakingly nervous about Batman vs Superman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I really am at this point. <laughs> I am very nervous about Batman vs Superman. Yeah, well, well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I sort of feel like you watching this and 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 feeling better about Man of Steel should make you somewhat less nervous. I think I saw I saw a coded review from someone who's actually seen Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. He said this basically said I can't say anything; it's embargoed. But if you loved Man of Steel, you'll love it. If you loved Man of Steel but didn't like the climax, you'll love it. If you didn't like Man of Steel, you might like it. If you hated Man of Steel, you'll hate it. Well, that makes Which, a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, but also it's probably not what Warner Brothers wants to hear. <laughs> well, I mean, Man of Steel made money, and it, it, it people are making noises like it didn't make enough money. But I, I think the thing that sure, is sure, I'm sure it made like I'm sure it made it didn't make uh, Avengers dollars, but I'm sure it was did pretty well for whenever it came out. Yeah, no, I, I I think it did, and I think that they're hoping that the addition of Batman is going to make it, you know, even even larger in that sense. And I suspect that there is a way in which it seems like your reading of of Man of Steel has a there's an attempt to sort of smuggle DC values in through into the movie through, you know, um, Zack Snyder's like storm and drunkness, death metal action scenes. And I think, and I think that that is, I don't know. Part of me is like, "Mm," you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) by the way, Man of Steel was the fifth most successful film in the year it came out. What were the other four? Just out of curiosity, is uh, Hunger Games was uh, Catching Fire was the most successful. Iron Man three was the second. Frozen and Despicable Man, Despicable Me two. Oh, interesting. 
Okay. It made more than Gravity, Monsters University, The Hobbit, mm-hmm. uh, Fur- Fast and Furious 6, Oz the Great and Powerful, which was the 10th most successful film of that year. Wow, that's stunning. Right? That's uh, stunning. Star Trek Into Darkness was 11, and Thor The Dark World was uh, 12. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So there you go. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, the other interesting thing is Batman versus Superman is the tracking's out for it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing how the tracking is being reported is fascinating to me. Uh, it's apparently on track for a one forty to one fifty million dollar opening weekend, which is a lot of money. That's right? yeah, it's a huge. Warners amount. are saying it's one ten because that's what the studio does. <laughs> the studio was like, play it down. Yeah. Play it down. You've got to you've got to lower the expectations because it's such a larger story when a when a movie outperforms. Yeah, the, exactly. The, super important. Whereas, like, if a movie is tracking at one fifty and it opens at one thirty, the the stories, as you know, it's, are yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a flop. But also, like, if the movie's tracking at one forty and it makes one forty, mm-hmm. that's still a bad story, right? Exactly. Because that still came, barely came up to expectations. Exactly. Like but what's funny is, so it's, it's tracking at 140 to 150. It's, uh, Warner's is saying 111. Uh, 110, rather. And I, I keep seeing reports that are like, Warner's are worried that it will make 110. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but like people who aren't in the studio are, are saying it's going to make like $40,000 $40, more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wacky. Uh, um, I think. I'm just super nervous about Batman vs. Superman because the most recent trailer came out and everyone's like, that was great. It started with the Batman scene. He's beating everyone up. That was the point where I was like, I don't want to see that film. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see Ben Affleck grumping around the place and putting people's heads into the floor. Oh, I think you're going to have a hard time. Oh, I, th- I think I'm going to see a lot of that. Yeah, I... I Especially with the fucking R-rated version. Yeah, oh, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, re- I suspect that you're really going to end up being, like, feeling like that movie just beat the crap out of you, but you're like, but the end really makes me feel like they're in a good place. You exactly, know? yeah. I, well, that's just it. Have you seen the... the um? Because obviously I write about this for a living, so I know far too much. The um, They put the the soundtrack is up for pre-order, and it being a Hans Zimmer soundtrack, the track titles basically tell you the story of the film. Oh, of course. <laughs> and the last song, the last track is actually called There Are Good Men. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's your plot right there. Right. Batman starts off as a violent dick and ends the film being like, Superman, you've redeemed me. Let's mm-hmm. form a league dedicated to justice. Should we call it, and then they'll cut to black. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's call it the ju- <laughs> <laughs> And then this credit sequence is Batman going, Ustis League! Ustis League, yeah, exactly. Then more time passes, then another sequence where, I don't know, Lex Luthor is like, grumping about in his office like where's my hair kicks the sled you know marked rosebud into the fire out of a fit of spite and then sinestro shows up and like says (laughs) i have an offer to make you i genuinely would love that um the other the other thing that makes me nervous and this is uh, my fanboy nature playing against me Mm -hmm. is i I don't want to see Zack snyder's dark side Oh, I really right. don't want Snyder's mm-hmm. dark side. And I, I all but know he's there. 
you know? And mm-hmm. it's just... Because it's going to be... I don't know. We had Russell Crowe as Jor-El. Who is he going to get to play Darkseid? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, Who would you want? Uh, I honestly don't know. I genuinely don't know who I'd want as Darkseid. Really? Yeah, I I have no idea. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be Brian Cranston CGI'd into stone or something, isn't it? No, it's going to be Werner Herzog. It's going to be like... (laughs) Oh my god, that would be hilarious. Wouldn't that be the best? Fucking Werner Herzog would be... But you don't think it's it's going to be like someone just hilariously underwhelming? You know, who can tell? I I think ultimately I want it to be an unknown. Do you know what I mean? Like, I right. don't want to look and be like, John Stamos is dark side. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, John Voight. No. Kevin Spacey comes wandering on. I'm sad this time. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, man, this is great. Okay, let's let's keep this ball rolling. <laughs> Rip Taylor is like glorious Godfrey. Um, uh, uh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Thank um, goodness. What's that? Betty White's granny goodness. There you go. I don't know. I think I got Rip Taylor in there. You got to go another di- direction there. I'm like, uh, Michelle Rodriguez is playing Lashina, and um, uh, 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 shit, shit. The the guy who was like, I'm trying to get off the Fast and the Furious thing. I'm like, shit, no. Uh, uh, who who's like the smarmy French guy who can play the guy with the hat? Um, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Now you've lost me. The smarmy French guy who can play the guy with the hat. Yeah, the guy with the hat. The master assassin, Apocalypto. Apocalypto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, also, just maybe realize Christoph Waltz is Darkseid. Christoph Waltz is Darkseid. Christoph Waltz is Desaad. Uh, Kevin Spacey's Desaad. We're sticking with that one. No, man. Do we have to stick with that one? Okay, okay. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's Desaad. I mean, that's going to be clear. Fuck. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Matt they Damon is scot free. What's that? Matt Damon is scot free. <laughs> Matt Damon is scot free. Matt Damon's a little old for scot free these days. I think. I think hey, they would totally. And Affleck's a little old for Batman. No, he's supposed to be playing an older retired Batman. Haven't you been paying attention to the press materials, Graham? <laughs> If only I hadn't. If only I had not been paying attention. Oh, God. Yeah, no, that... I mean, you tell that shit so much that I honestly had to stop myself from doing a Hollywood report story that was making fun of Chadwick Boseman for saying, the Black Panther's not a superhero. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Because I wanted to be like, yes, he is. Yeah, right. He's wearing a fucking costume to fight crime. He's a fucking superhero, Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> The Adventures of Graham McMillan, Entertainment Reporter. And it's just you just yelling at the screen. Exactly. Stop fucking saying stupid things. Please, just stop. You're killing me. And it's not even your opinion. Stop it. Brian Singer, I don't care how many times you Instagram jokes about storms. Stop it. (laughs) I got to say, I haven't missed the internet much. I mean, I've I've been (laughs) so busy. Basically, had an internet break for two weeks. I really have. It's is that, been is that a weird? Vacation. Like, do you feel disconnected? I do. I do. Uh, In a way? Uh, you know, honestly, it's one of those things where I've just been so crazily busy that at at first. And yet, that being said, crazily busy in a way that sort of has a lot of has been mostly very satisfying, uh, yeah. and so therefore, it's been. 
takes up so much time and then afterwards I'm really tired. I don't even really have any – but I just haven't had those like – those little – you know, the internet has become such a um, – like grout or something, you know, you just kind of like squeeze it in, in the little open moments of your day and not having that. Uh, at first I was like, Oh my God, I miss it. What's going on. And then really rapidly came this like period of later. You're like, I feel great. Right. Well, I mean, I think because part of it is, is because of the election cycle and because of the way that I've built my Twitter cir- circle, you know, is, I just feel like I haven't seen a lot of comics commentary on whenever I have gone on there on Twitter or something like that. And then the stuff that I have has been sort of the usual, ah, I'm angry, I'm throwing blocks around. And then with the political stuff that I follow, which is just a ridiculous amount of like, oh my God, I'm throwing all the bricks around. I was just like, I don't. It just didn't really seem to be accomplishing much. That being said, I went back. Like, no, I think the I, internet isn't accomplishing much. Well, yeah. I mean, accomplishing much. Hush, I just hush your uh, mouth. I know, right? Uh, it just, it just kind of felt. I just, it's just one of those things where I don't think that the internet. I think the internet goes through periods of being stuck in a rut, and I think that I really feel like that's kind of what's going on. That being said, there are times where you can do things to at least adjust that a little bit. And I, I, and I'm not doing that. I'm not turning around and being like, okay, I've got too many political, I should unfollow these. I should follow like, I don't know, more science blogs, you know, there's just, it's just a variety of things, but yeah. So it's been strange. So I've missed huge, huge chunks of this stuff. And here's the thing. No, you haven't. Right. We'll see. That's it. And also, no, I haven't. Because there is a lot of, uh, as you know, it's really important for so many uh, places on the internet to try and get you to pay attention uh, that it's, you know, that there's always kind of a constant like hand waving, oh my God, this is so important. And and it it just doesn't feel that way. So it sort of feels but like it's... There's also this fascinating thing I have because like because of what I do for a living, mm-hmm. um, you, you get... There are moments where you just realize like how weird the bubble is. Mm-hmm. So this week it was announced that uh, for I think Captain America issue seven, sorry, Captain America Sam Rogers issue, uh, Sam Wilson issue seven, not mm-hmm. not the other Captain America. Um, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy are doing a story, right? And I had multiple people from inside and outside Marvel be like, "Why aren't you writing this up? This is one of the biggest stories of the week." I don't see why it's a big story. It's like, not a big story. Yeah. Right? No. I, I mean, mean it's, it's really not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I had people who weren't just trying to, like, Marvel will tell you it is because, you know, they're Marvel. It's publicity right. for their thing. But these are people outside Marvel also saying it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, like, but this isn't a big story. <laughs> like, th- there's, there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think, but there is the the. But it is. Yeah, you know? it's it. There, there isn't. There isn't because there are those people who maybe have not been around uh, comics long enough. Like have been brought in. Like I, you know, like 
Whedon and Cassidy's whole run on Astonishing X-Men, it's quite possible they could have missed it. And it seems to me it's quite possible that Marvel is trying to, you know, counterbalance the fact that Whedon went on to do Runaways in a way that most people ended up unhappy and indifferent <laughs> by trying to be like, hey, it's, it's you know, it's Whedon and it's Cassidy. It's Whedon and it's Cassidy. Remember those guys? <laughs> Yeah, that's you just know. it. It's not being sold as people who are like, I missed the Sunshine X-Men. It's people who sold by, can you believe these the Sunshine X-Men team is at it again? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's I'm like, like, sure? Right. <laughs> Why not? It's like, it's a, it's like an eight-page comic. See, exactly. And that's the other thing. As an eight-page story bundled into an anniversary special that seems ridiculously close to whatever previous anniversary special that was just out, like, you know five or so years ago it just seems you're just like well it, it is because last time it was the 70s was it the 70s yeah that's why i was yeah. like was that, that, what that were that's exactly what mm -hmm. it is yeah mm -hmm. so it's just kind of that deal of like if there if there's one book that has really burned its goodwill currency for anniversary specials it seems like it's been captain america in the last 10 years you know, 15 years or whatever. And then on top of it, like you said, it's an eight page story. So what? I have to admit, there's part of me that if, if they announced that they were going to do a Captain America, astonishing Captain America or whatever. Yeah, and it was, it was a, it was a series. That yeah, would be a thing. Right. Right. Even, even like a 12 issue mini series, I'd be like, okay, that's worth paying attention to. But yeah, an eight page story. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, exactly. even if it ends up being an okay, great story. It's just like, so what? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, it's it's like there's, you know, Bernard, Bernie Creekston's, like, Master Race. That's a pretty good eight-page story. You know, there's, like, some of the stuff that Will Eisner did. That's a pretty great eight-page story. You know, but John Whedon, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, it's going to be like... You know, it's going to be written from the point of view of, like, Hitler's tooth and how Hitler's tooth has always wanted to be, like, a good, you know, supporter of the people and wanted to work in the fields. But, no, it's stuck in the mouth of this guy. And then it's, like, six more pages of that. And then Captain America is going to jump in, like, punch Hitler. And the, it's going to be the tooth flying out of Hitler's mouth going, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like that's you have a much better version of this than I was imagining. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I I would read that story. <laughs> You're like sold and sold. Exactly. I'll have one of those, please. <laughs> Jeff, tell me what you've read. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, well interesting because I kind of wanted to wrap this up in half an hour, but. Tell me what you've read anyway, Jeff. No, man, that is hilarious. All right. Well, so uh, let's let's talk very briefly because you really – we were on such a great associative train before we jumped off it like two drunk hobos and got crushed under its wheels. Uh, when you talked about Superman being a guy in Man of Steel who doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't know what he's there for, um, I think – think that it's really interesting. Uh, listeners may remember that I want to say it was in the last podcast, but maybe it was two or three before that, where basic, oh, where I was like, oh man, I was super excited by Batman 49. I'm like, Snyder's crazy. I want to see oh, him write yes. more DC comics. Let's do, yes. let's, you know, 
And I said, I was, because you were like, well, it's not announced that it, we, every all assume is doing detective, but he could be doing something else with a variety of arts. I'm like, oh my God, he should do Justice League. And, and I was like, no. Oh yeah. That was, you were so like, no. And I was like, why? And you're like, I, did you read Superman Unchained? I read Superman Unchained. Don't ever read Superman Unchained. And I so. And you, you bought it. Yeah, absolutely. Like any good wife of Bluebeard, I'm like, Got to check out that Superman Unchained, you know. It really did help that, that of course, there was Superman's birthday, uh, February 29th. God bless them. DC put up a bunch of trade paperbacks on sale on Comixology, most of which would have driven people from – The Prime stuff. Oh, wasn't it? It was (laughs) – I really was. Roger Stern, Kurt Swan collection of Action Comics Weekly two-pagers. Oh, man. Was that in there? Did I miss that somewhere? Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so there was just a lot of stuff where it was very much – I'm fascinated by the idea that, that DC is like – I don't know. We'll we'll see where those things go. But, yeah, basically there was all this stuff. I'm like, none of this really looks any particularly good. But I'm like, oh, hello, what's this? Superman Unchained for, you know, like – slashed in normally 1999 now only like seven dollars how bad can it be it's like 400 pages uh or 330 pages well i found out uh is basically to jump to the dramatic conclusion and it that shit was fascinating to me um on a number of levels uh Mainly because I think one of my big jokes is that Jim Lee is responsible for drawing two of the most boring Superman stories ever. And I'm not wrong. Like, having actually read Superman (laughs) Unchained, I'm like, interesting. I'd already been through For Tomorrow, and now that I've read Unchained, I've seen Jim Lee... Let's be honest. Wasted twice on a well, talking Superman story. To 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 be to be fair, interestingly enough, a I think that Scott Snyder tried to craft something that was, you know, the opposite of For Tomorrow, and he spent a ridiculous I don't know about a ton of time, but it was clear that he spent a lot of time trying to figure out like how can I draw Superman scenes that are going to look awesome and that and sort of that Jim Lee will like. And that somehow really backfired because depending on how generous you want to be to Jim Lee, A, the stuff that Snyder was coming up with was so um, widescreeny and bigger than big. Like, oh, here's someone hitting someone else with a full ocean liner kind of thing that that Lee didn't have time to hit the deadlines and draw it to the level that just didn't look like rushed and shitty or alternately Jim Lee just could not give a fuck. Cause let me tell you that book like for tomorrow really has Jim Lee being like, Oh, I'm here. I'm on this. I give a fuck. Yeah. Look at me. I'm giving a fuck. You know, that's, and, that's really interesting to say that. Cause I read justice league origin again this week. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and I was surprised by how much it seemed like both Johns and Lee gave a fuck compared with what they're doing now. Yeah, I think so. Well, and I think – but there's also that thing of – I, th- how do I put it? Uh, I feel that Johns has a, had a very good sense of what Lee wants and what he likes to draw. There, Superman Unchained has a surprisingly little amount of – full page 
uh, sort of or double page spreads of people standing and posing looking dynamic slash like Greek statue type things, you know, like that happened. I mean, that's you would think the number one lesson that you could learn from reading Hush that Jeff Loeb clearly picked up on is, is he's like the image guys, they like their pinups. They sell the, for those original art pages for high amounts. It's what they dig. I, readers I, like I having big page reveals. Exactly. I mean, he really did learn it from Liefeld and he took it and has carried it off. I think to, to very, you know, fiscally successful ends, if nothing else. And Snyder's very much like, Lee likes, can draw detail. He likes drawing stuff that has sort of, you know, sinuous curves to it. He is always talking about how much he likes architecture, you know, and he also likes drawing things where people got like blibbity blue light up things on their face. So the colorist has to do most of the work. Boom. And, and yeah, Lee just really, like you said, compared to Justice League, which has a lot of, there's action scenes, they're relatively brief, and then there's a lot of posing, talking, page turning, and Superman Unchained in its attempt to be a bold, vigorous Superman story that is also a deconstruction of the Superman uh, myth, I suppose, is was... Part of me was like, if Lee had really committed to it, it would probably would have looked better and it would have been easier to overlook Snyder's faults in his, his the thematic underpinning in Superman Unchained is dodgy as hell, which is interesting because, you know, the deluxe edition that I had, it literally has like, you know, incorporates elements of the Superman Unchained number one director's cut, you know, so it has pages of his uh, first issue script there. And what's interesting is reading Scott Snyder's script, and he is he's talking about the importance of things thematically, you know, like on page two or page three. Pretty interesting, I have to say, that it's like, oh, he's, you know, it's like this this really plays up the theme of the disparity between, you know, illusion, what we want to believe in myth and reality and the actual reality of of life as it's lived which is his big theme and how he's trying to tie it into Superman. And then he, he really fumbles the ball in like about eight different yeah. ways, which is amazing to me, you know? It's Superman Unchained, because I also read it in collection. I read maybe the first three issues, the single issues, and then it dropped off, and then sure. I got a comp of the collection. Um, feels very much like a series where... I can't remember if this was the case or not, but it was at some point changed from an ongoing to a miniseries, mm. and everyone basically reassessed what they wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like it, it feels like midway through, they're like, uh, "Okay, th- this is what we're doing now." Uh, it's interesting. I it could be. I mean, I think. I think honestly what Snyder's trying to do and it, it made a lot of sense is I, I do feel that it started off as here's a book that is supposed to be contemporary new 52 Superman and it's taking all of its cues from where that incarnation was at its particular point in time. So it's like, 
you know, Lois Lane is is the editor of the Daily Planet and Clark Kent has like struck out on his own to like do internet work in a way that no one who has ever spent knows how internet <laughs> yes, works yes. Clark, ever Clark did. Yeah. Which would somehow manage to support them. Yeah, it you know, honestly, let's face it, if they were news stories written by Clark Kent that were then being delivered via cat gifts, I would I would go to that website. So, you know. Anyway, what's wrong with the internet, Jeff? <laughs> so, so but so I think I think it was started with this idea of like I really do think that that after the stuff with Batman, I think they pulled him into a conference room, Scott Snyder, and was like, "Okay, you clearly know how to do Batman for the new 52 universe and make it work and make it seem like it's it, like it's a thing like and by a thing we mean make the new 52 seem like it's a thing as opposed to a desperate floppy you know a floppy a floppy sweat decision made by Dan DiDio you know a man with ridiculous amounts of ADD can you make this work for Superman and Scott Snyder was like uh, and they're like we're gonna have Jim Lee work on it and it'll probably mean bucketfuls of money and he's like sure I can do it and then he went home and was like yeah, so what do I want to say about Superman? And a, a lot, a it's it it has a real some really fascinating like because he really does at one point what he wants to boil down is is this idea that Superman is just a guy who's more or less making it up as he goes along that the that the myth of Superman is that there is this guy that you know it's basically Bowie's Starman is not really the way that it works. And and his point underneath it, of course, which makes a lot of sense, is, is that that character is not dramatically interesting. It's more dramatically interesting if you have someone who really doesn't know what the hell they're doing. They just It's just that they are smart and caring and they have a ridiculous number of superpowers under their belt, you know? So there's this weird... but. But in in the end of trying to strip all that out, like his the new Fifty Two Superman in Superman Unchained is such a ridiculously passive character. Like I'm all one for being Mister. Like yeah, I'm tired of Jeff Johns's approach of like everything has to be personal and it's got to be personal stakes, and and that helps make the superhero character more active. But but. Snyder's Superman character is, for the bulk of it, the least interesting character in the book by far. And by creating a Superman analog that is an earlier superpowered alien who's helped America rewrite world history in its favor, sort of a, and of course, Snyder being Snyder, it's one part Superman, one part coded Dr. Manhattan, you know, uh, one part the American military industrial complex, that character who keeps talking about how much he respects and honors Superman, but is also driven by at least two or three different desires in any one scene that you only find out about as the story goes on, becomes a more interesting character. Lois Lane becomes a more interesting character. Just about everyone becomes a more interesting character apart from the characters that Scott Snyder is insisting that he's going to make more interesting. Uh, they're dull. Like, 
the Lex Luthor. That is one dull Lex Luthor, let me tell you. There's there it so it's really fascinating watching Snyder fall on his face, but again, also have a real weird even as he's insisting that the part of the joys of the new 52 Superman is that you have a new is that you have a Superman who's had all this mythic crap scraped off of him that character still only manages to have the story work out for him by impressing the Superman analog character enough that that character ends up coming over to his side to work for him in a way that has a lot to do with him having admired Superman for years before they met. So it's like this whole weird, like he it's in the end, Snyder just couldn't figure out a way to make the character work without relying on kind of that sort of fet accompli mistake of them going, well, but he's Superman. Everyone loves him, you know, without really showing kind of why, which is kind of what Johns did when Johns wrote the uh, Superman with Rumi's drawing profile. Mm-hmm. That that the the problem with that run also is that for all the it's the new fifty two Superman he wrote the old Superman yeah right and I, I I think that's something that DC are really going to have to come to terms with at one point well because like, there's writing the, the old fifty two Superman right then then make him something worthwhile in and of himself. And Make, if you can't exactly. do that and you have to write the old Superman, just fucking write the old Superman. Just just write the old Superman, which is how Johns did get out of it. And he got out of that in Justice League too. You know, it's very much the old Superman is it appears to be running around and and there's just there's no way. So Snyder's like, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna write the new Superman, but the important part is that he's already done so much awesome stuff that everyone loves him as if he was the old Superman. So it, it's just wow! What what a fascinating series of mistakes it was. Um, and then you get to this whole sequence where, at one point, Superman's like fighting like the U.S. military cyber snow dog drones up at the top of the world, while like Batman and surprise guest star are fighting the wraith in the Bat Cave, and you can just tell like. Snyder's like, ah, oh, I have so many great scenes for this fight. I, like, he really was. He was like, I just, okay, only my top five best scenes are going to make it into this fight. And then meanwhile, he goes back to the Superman stuff. He's like, uh, I guess Superman could, like, uh... <laughs> Exactly. Listen, I'm much more comfortable writing Batman, you guys. Yeah, totally, totally. Because it is that idea of, like, Batman's a shit. And he's like, oh, I can totally have fun writing Batman being the shit because he because he's a turd, but he is not wrong, you know, and that's there's a lot of fun that you can have with that. And he's like, Superman, OK, I've scraped off the mythic allure. What do I have left? Jim Lee art. Take it away, Jim. And Jim's like, uh, yeah, who's my Scott Williams? What have you got going on here, man? Do you feel I just I sketched some stuff out and on my iPad that was the part that was great. The only parts where Jim Lee's like really excited is like, "Hey, look, flashback on an iPad." Mm, it's yellow, you know, like that was the only part where he was really excited by. And those scenes look crazy. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, I I honestly just wanting someone to make the ringtone you going mm, yellow. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Grant McMillan, that was too long talking about it, 
by all means, feel free to uh, condemn me or condone me or no, I, I, chime right. in. Or, I, mm-hmm. I, I, as I was saying before, I think Superman Unchained is, is just a uh, – it's a comic that's – not that it has no redeeming features, but definitely when I finished it, I was like, yep, that's definitely a Superman comic that I feel like I gave up a portion of my life to read. Yeah. Well, it's a shame because I really did. I, I was like – there was one point where I was like, okay – this book, this book has been going on forever. Surely they're going to wrap it up. And I was like, wow, it's still got like 200 pages left. Exactly. There, it really is one of those books where you're like, I thought this was only nine issues. How could it still be going? Oh, I'm in issue four? Okay, then. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it really is that idea of like, if it had worked, Snyder really had bombastic ideas. One after the other, he's like, oh, I've got so many surprising twists. I've got the twist that you didn't see coming. I've got that twist, twist. I've got the twist on top of the twist of the twist. Then I've got the return of the original twist, you know, and and at a certain point, you're just like, this is one overstuffed uh, dead thing, you know? This, <laughs> this sloth, you don't know anything about taxidermy at all. This sloth is four times its normal size, and it just looks ghastly. And even if you'd done it right, it just would have been a stuffed sloth. Think about that. So, yeah. Also, what I've been reading, uh, I read a whole bunch of Wonder Woman 77 comics, uh, which are the digital comic that you may recall is... Yes, uh, is Mark Andreco and a bunch of people, definitely Nicholas Scott to begin with, doing uh, Wonder Woman from the Linda Carter series. Yes, and started off really uh, fun. There were like six issues slash like six chapters. digital issues yeah six chapters so basically two issues maybe uh and then a long hiatus and then they came back and unfortunately when they came back uh there was some stuff that i thought was fun it it sort of started getting hampered by mark and draco either himself deciding or under editorial insistence doing stuff like oh, okay and here i am i'm going to do Wonder Woman meets the cheetah, you know, now I'm going to do Wonder Woman and she meets Clayface. And here's how I bring Solomon Grundy into the Wonder Woman 77 verse. And it was okay. Honestly, interestingly enough, the most recent issue, I think it's the most recent issue that's out. Issue 16 is by Christos Gage uh, and his wife. uh, And, I don't remember who's doing the art and it has, it's sort of got, it sort of feel it honest to God feels like a genuine rewrite of a, co- a comic I read in sensation comics. The other wonder woman digital comic. I'm like, Oh boy, we're going to see where they go with this. This will be interesting. But, um, you know, and Draco, at least even when he had some stuff going on, like Celestia, I don't even know if that's a real, character but he had he had this whole thing about like toying with the idea of a nuclear uh plant meltdown in the 70s and then the the idea that everyone got away scot-free and there's a vigilante trying to kill them off and wonder woman's fighting arguing for justice all of which is to say the majority of it started off as kind of enjoyable dumb comics with that linda carter spin on it that i liked and then it sort of kept trying to morph into more of a traditional DC comic. And I was like, it's one thing when it's Dr. Psycho who did appear in the TV show and is Billy Barty for whatever reason. I'm like, Oh, I can forgive that, you know, 
And the cheetah, I'm like, okay, the cheetah is a Wonder Woman villain. This is actually a perfectly acceptable cheetah origin story in a way to make it the character interesting. But at a certain point when it's Clayface and is like, ah, it's great. He's clay. Wonder Woman's made of clay. He's going to be able to manipulate the clay on Paradise Island to, like, make it do his bidding. And now Paradise Island belongs to Clayface. You're just kind of like... Clayface? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Which is really funny. You were saying that. And I was like, that sounds like a great story. Yeah, you know, honestly, well, see, this is it. I, it, it. It probably could have been pretty awesome, but how do I put it? Part of the problem is... is but it, it wasn't. I think that's what you're trying well, to Well, there's that. It would be pretty awesome, but no. But how do I put it? It's, there's a weird realm of that's not a Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, that's not a Linda Carter Wonder Woman comic. That is actually a DC universe. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. It's just uh, that that could be a cool Wonder Woman comic. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's yeah. like the TV show because it's not. Right, right. And so there's kind of that weird thing of like mm. – the other thing that I've been reading is a ton of Batman comics from the 70s. Uh, because of the Neil Adams sale, uh, ironically enough to promote the Superman issue you were talking about earlier, um, I picked up – Pretty much all of his of the seventies Batman and Detective comics they had on sale, which were great because tremendous numbers of them had nothing to do with Neil Adams at all, apart from a cover. Like most of them, they they it would have been more appropriate <laughs> to call them a Dick Giordano sale because Dick Giordano <laughs> is usually inking Irv Novik in most of the issues. And I'm like, oh my god, that's wonderful. <laughs> why is I guess this is a Neil Adams cover, but it's like seriously 99 cent comics that had nothing to do with Neil Adams other than the fact that it's him drawing the cover. I'm like that seems like a, a bit of a cheat. But honestly, as time went on, because there were a few, and whenever the Neil Adam comics popped up, I was genuinely like, I'm okay with Irv Novik. You know, like, it's not It's not like I it's, don't... It, those, are, those aren't bad comics. They're not bad comics. They're not. They're, I mean, not like the Green Lantern, Green Arrow st- relevant comics, which I kind of think are bad comics and I did not bother with. But, you know, I'm like, the Neil Adam stuff is fun. It's just... A, and this is the other thing that's interesting uh, that that I, I want to squeeze in there very quickly is because of the Batman by the pound sale that they were having before the end of the year. I think Matt Turrell called it the Batman by the gig sale, where I bought like the best of you bought a lot, right? Yeah, Archie Goodwin's Batman, Len Wein's Batman, uh, the Carvin Carmine Infantino Batman. A lot of Batman stuff. Like, I started off with the Carmen Infantino stuff, then I sort of uh, got tired, and then I started in on the Archie Goodwin stuff. The Goodwin stuff is interesting because, of course, then the Manhunter, all of the Manhunter saga is folded into that. And, Graham, this is probably achingly obvious to you and to everyone who has read uh, Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson's Manhunter saga, but rereading it, the thing that stunned me that I did not notice is how much Goodwin and Simonson are um, actively doing tributes to Will Eisner's The Spirit all yes. the way through the saga. And, and for- I, I did not get that until like a recent rereading either. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like – and I've read the Manhunter books like – this is like my third go round. Admittedly, I think the last time I read it was maybe 14 years ago. But, you know, I'd read Eisner's The Spirit. But this time was the thing where I was like, oh, 
here's a six-page installment where it's like all this stuff is happening and there's like a tourist family going through the Italian monastery and the kid keeps seeing stuff and pointing at trying to get his parents' attention and they keep ignoring him. And he, it's even with him with his toy gun saving the Manhunter at one point. And I'm like, this is – it's great because it's totally so, you know – Grim, serious, super action, you know, taking its influence from a bunch of stuff. But at the core of it is Eisner's The Spirit. That was interesting. The other thing that I find is fascinating, I'm hoping I have not found time to write anything up for the website in a million years. And I'm sorry, everyone. I pray to God I will actually get, get the time to write this. But the fascinating thing is, is Batman in the 70s, every other story is obsessed with ghosts or immortality in a way that really makes me feel like in that classic, like Jeff overanalyzes it to death kind of way that there's this weird, despite what everyone says about, you know, O'Neill and Adams sort of revivifying the character. Everyone is basically writing Batman stories that are completely obsessed about either a, people living forever and becoming hollowed out husks of themselves or B whether or not ghosts actually exist and are haunting a house, you know, basically Scooby-Doo plots, but done. So like there's a ton of them in this, in this Neil Adams sale that are not done by Neil Adams. There was a bunch of them in the Archie Goodwin stuff. There's this real, uh, creative obsession with the idea that Batman is, a walking ghost, essentially like create, like there is the, the continued insistence on the storyline really points to this idea that they, that the people working on Batman are like, I love this character, but he's at such a creative dead end that we are just going through the mystery ghost motions, you know? So it was really interesting watching that play out in story after story. And I understand that they're actually set up, because they're Ju- you know Julie Schwartz is the editor and wants Batman to be a detective again, and so there's a lot of stuff bitten from Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes, that idea that it's the occult, but it's not really the occult. And here's the world's greatest detective to show you the clue that you should have seen. Blah blah blah. But because they just can't get out of that rut, it really feels like people are making this weird definitive statement, which is is that this character is a shambling corpse um so really fascinating in that regard i I feel you've almost sold me in those comics stop it (laughs) you know i have to say you wouldn't pay 99 cents for them but if you had like a uh if i I if i yeah if there's unlimited Definitely. If I exactly. could just buy them in the library, I'd read them. Come on. Let's see, and that's it. As a library trade of this stuff, and and even if you can get a get a hold of a library trade of that Archie Goodwin Batman story. Oh no, I, I've 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 read the Tales of Batman and Archie Goodwin from the library already. Oh, okay. Then yeah, half of that stuff, you know, there's well, half the book is the later Archie Goodwin stuff that I haven't read. The first yeah. half or third of the book. Uh, is the early is seventies stuff where he was writing Batman up front and Manhunter in the back, and they separate the, out the stories. <laughs> I feel like that's absurd. It does, doesn't it? Is like Batman in the streets, <laughs> Manhunter in the sheets. 
So, uh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's why we I've been start reading off, We start off talking about Beer Milligan's erotic comics. We end up with Batman in the Streets, Manhunter in the Sheets. I was afraid you were going to say we end up with Jeff Lester's erotic comics, because that's... Uh... <laughs> no, no, that, that's that's to come. Oh, that's okay. the sixth episode of Wait What. <laughs> you really do want our listener base to completely disappear and never return. <laughs> So, everybody, thank you. I think we need to wrap it up, uh, really, which is a weird concept. Yeah. Uh, welcome to our new Saturday morning, slightly different energy yeah, for sure. uh, podcast, listeners. Yeah. We, we hope it was okay for you. Um, we are all over the internet. This is where I should normally say this sort of thing. Yes. Um, we are at waitwatchpodcast.com where you can find episodes and show notes and written posts. Uh, not only has Jeff, as he said, been slightly lax in written posts, so have I. So mm. we're both terrible. Um, luckily Matt Terrell is keeping the, the fort hold, I was going to say keeping the fort down. That's burning? Keeping the fort is. burning? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Holding down the fort. Ah, there we go. Yeah. See? Yeah, uh, he's he's keeping it real over there. Um, we are at the Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com, which is more or less me finding random comics panels and putting them up and complaining about comics that upsets Jeff. Oh my god, so this was so- supposed to be me bitching about the Infinity Gauntlet. We'll have to save that for next time. Yeah, um, we are also at uh, Twitter at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter solo at LazyBastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We are also a Patreon-supported podcast. Uh, there are – Jeff, how many people are supporting us on Patreon now? Currently 118. It's not awesome. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. you 118 people. And to everyone else who listens as well. Yes. Uh, the, the people who are supporting us on Patreon, we cannot thank you enough. And this is where I shut up and Jeff says a special says, message. Yes, indeed, which is a, our, our super big thanks to the crew over at the American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast. As well as special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for uh, continued support. As well as our thanks to everyone on Patreon who make this uh, all this possible. Uh, for those of you who listen to us uh, uh, talk about the Fantastic Four uh, once a month on the Baxter Building podcast, that is directly a result of the kind and um, generous ongoing uh, aid that we receive uh, from our patrons, uh, on, uh, patrons on Patreon, and we thank you. Anyone who's looking for a little bit more information, that's patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. I think we've done it, Jeff. I think we made it through the first Saturday one in one piece. Whew, that's amazing. I, it seemed like it was rocky waters there for a while, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did. Thank you so much for coming along with us, everyone. Next week is, I believe, a Baxter building. That it is. We're, we're doing we're doing Fantastic Four people, and we are. I think we'll actually be heading back into Stanley territory after getting out for a while. Oh um, yeah. We, we have, however, not the Baxter building, but the Fantastic Four comic has a new logo. Just Ooh. saying. I know it's we're heading into the shitty logo era. <laughs> That's and looking, we hope to see all of you there um, yeah so we'll be back uh, next week with Bikes Building the next Wait What episode will be in two weeks yeah that's correct yeah. other than that thank you very much for listening Jeff 
Yes, and thank you for listening too, Graham. I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed it tremendously. I was waiting for you to do some sort of singing out instead of me for a change. I'll do it instead. Bye! Yay! So happy. You did such a good job. <laughs>